Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Stam Audio. Stam Audio creates zero compromise recording gear that is light on the wallet. Only the best components are used, and each one goes through a rigorous testing process with one thing in mind, getting the best sound possible. Go to stamaudio.com for more info. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. Our sync claps are setting my dog off. <laughs> I've got my dog next to me. The voice you hear next to me is someone that I've been wanting to get on the podcast for ages now because I feel like we haven't properly talked about one of the most important aspects of being a good engineer, which has almost nothing to do with the engineer himself, which is room treatment and room acoustics so we have right. mr yesko lohan on uh who i met you kind of well internet met you through, <laughs> yeah. through the stumbled uh, across each other huh? yeah exactly i think that through brian hood's group exactly mm-hmm. yeah let me just say that brian hood is an endless resource of great things it's true but yeah definitely i also met billy decker through him uh who's doing this coming month on Nail the Mix. So, uh, hey, if you want good things in your life, be friends with Brian Hood. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) He's a good guy. Yeah, I agree. And so basically, you were in his group helping people treat their rooms pretty much yeah so like i'm i'm basically i'm so i'm based in berlin in germany and uh, i'm a mixing engineer and uh, and studio acoustician and i've been um yeah i've been just kind of trying to figure out um kind of trying to dig deeper into where people's issues are with their rooms and so i just kind of started uh talking to people online and uh and i was uh talking to some people i guess on on brian hood's group and uh and that's when when I saw you or when you saw what I posted. I can't quite remember. And uh, well, I yeah. saw what you posted, and I wanted you to help people in our group as well. Exactly, that's it. Yeah, and I wanted to bring you on the podcast and everything because I basically spied on it on you <laughs> talking to people for a little while, cool, just to see if you were full of shit. <laughs> right. And everyone kept saying, "I talked to this guy," and. We figured out what was wrong with my room, and I made some changes, and holy shit, right. my mixes translate so much better now. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So I saw that over and over and over again. Cool. I figured may may as well talk to you. So, sure, great. So welcome. That Thank you. That was a long introduction. But, um, <laughs> Thank you. What, uh, what inspired you to want to help people with their rooms? It seems like it's tedious. Yeah, sure. It is a bit tedious, but then again... So basically, um, to, uh, where to start? So I, I, I have a, actually have a degree in aerospace engineering originally. So I'm. Uh, oh, so this is probably uh, less tedious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's that there's that engineering nerd in me and me. But I, I've I've been doing music for ages, and I kind of wanted to do it professionally after I kind of dabbled in 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 the engineering industry, and then uh, and then I started mixing for like for at some point, and in the process, obviously, at some point, I came across kind of acoustics and and uh, the things it can do for me and I started experimenting in my own room and uh, and I, I yeah I, I started getting results I started my mixes started improving based on the changes I made to my room 
and uh, and people kind of or got people's attention and they asked me if I could help them out and that kind of started the ball rolling and um, and and yeah and the nerd in me just uh, just really kind of got interested and uh, and it's it's it, it fascinates me like the the physics of sound I found it really really fascinating and the the actually the intersection between the creative work and the sort of technical side of sound how the two interact and how they influence each other and how we can how we can use the technical side to influence the creative side so that's kind of where my my speciality is because uh, mixing obviously doing the mixing work which is all creative which is all about just kind of bringing out the emotions of the song kind of forgot what i was going to say there <laughs> but yeah that's, that's kind of the, the the yeah so like it's kind of that that's kind of where what, what really interests me is the intersection between the two and how they influence each other well i guess the thing with the room acoustics and that whole side of it is that lots of people avoid doing it right because they just want to focus on the creative side of mixing and sure all that and i think that the science part scares them it does, and yeah, then the scary. money part scares them too. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, both. I mean, it's 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 complicated. Acoustics is complicated. It gets really complicated really quickly, and um, especially in small rooms. I mean, big rooms are actually easy. That's one of the the disadvantages of the work that we do is that in the in the small rooms that we typically work in, the acoustic problems all kind of pile up on top of each other and it gets it gets really really difficult really really quickly and um so like reading online why is that uh just because of the 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 dimensions of the 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 room basically and then and then obviously in in our scenarios working from home studios working from project studios that weren't built for that purpose uh you kind of have to deal with the 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 issues of the room and so you have like uh, materials in the room that affect the sound in a negative way you have windows you have doors and inconvenience places all these kind of things so and and yeah like i said it all kind of piles up because of the size it all piles up in the in, in the in the range that interests us and um it's a very multidisciplinary problem so you've got sev- like several aspects of acoustics that all come into play on top of each other and they all start sort of intersecting and um and you, you have to kind of break it down into individual pieces if you want to if you want to um, solve it uh, or if yeah if you want to solve the issues in your room and so it's, it becomes really complicated really quickly and people are discouraged by reading lots of stuff online and getting confused about one person saying this the other person saying that and um, and so yeah I'm, it's it's uh, I remember very well what it was like I mean just uh, just going through forums <laughs> for hours and then yeah. coming out with your with your head hurting and not really having any answers at all <laughs> and um, I mean I had the sort of I started I just started experimenting to be honest I, I mean I just started experimenting in my own studio and I still experiment a lot and so I uh, I kind of I kind of try I, I always try I want to get the best bang for my buck you know and I want to get it from a mixer's perspective so that's that's where I'm coming from and over the over time I experimented with different designs different materials uh, I, I did a lot of research into um, sound system design actually i I recently did um uh, the sound system for a club here in berlin and uh going through that process uh, which was really interesting uh, that taught me a lot about what you can do with speakers alone 
And um, that's quite incredible because us studio guys, we never talk about that. And those guys, the guys from like the, the sound system design guys, they, they have all these systems and all these procedures just to work with speakers and rooms. They don't do any acoustics at all because it's way too expensive. And, well, you uh, know, what you're saying to me is actually really interesting and should be inspiring because if you do think about acoustics in terms of several different disciplines that yeah. all kind of compound on each other in order to get one acoustic result, well, yeah. you can use that to your advantage by saying that, well, maybe I can't afford to fix all seven. Like That's meaning right. I can't fix the shape of the room I'm in or that, that well, I'm in an apartment. So the room size is the room size, but I can fix six out of the seven. Or That's I can exactly fix right. five out of the seven That's and exactly right. get yeah get 80% of a better sounding room. I mean, maybe it's not going to be 100% better, but 80% is better than 0%. That's absolutely right. And, and, there's, and there's sort of priorities coming again, coming from sort of the mixer's perspective. There pro there's priorities. So I, for example, for me, the most important thing is getting a balanced frequency response. It doesn't have to be flat. To be honest, flat doesn't exist. <laughs> People tend to say they want a flat frequency response. It doesn't exist. It's easy to type. <laughs> it's easy to type. Um, but even the most professional studios don't have a flat frequency response because of, like things like a table that you're working on alone would completely destroy your flat frequency response. And or what so, about the fact that huge studios have windows in them? Yeah, exactly. Even a window to the drum room. Yeah, totally. And I mean, and then I mean, you, we talk about reflections a lot. There's there's always a reflection coming off the floor, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's it's always there. Even in the most expensive studios, like there will always be a floor reflection. And that's the one last thing that remains and that we can't do anything about. Uh, but yeah, coming back to like the sort of multi multi multiple problems that come on top of each other, that's true, exactly. You can you can just start solving one at a time. You don't have to do all of them at the same time. And you can start with the ones that give you the biggest advantage. So like for me it's it's getting a balanced frequency response. And you can do that simply by positioning, li literally just just by finding the right spot to sit in in your room because you can like you said you can't change the dimensions of the room so we might as well make the make the most out of out of what we got and just get the best result we can just by positioning and that will give you that alone will give you 50% of the work that you need to do like that alone will give you a sound that you can work with and then you can build on that with panels for example so let's talk about positioning for a second what I mean, I guess there's a point where if someone's not willing to move from their spot, you can't really, they can't really take advantage of the power of positioning. Yeah. So they need to, number one, be willing to move their spot in the room. But let's yeah. assume that there isn't a bed right behind them. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. that, they, that they are capable of moving to a different spot in the room. What's your method for that? What what do you tell people to do? So yeah, and that's 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 really interesting. And I actually I recommend everybody read the article that I wrote for you guys on the URM called uh, "Fixing the Low End uh, Without Knowing Anything About Acoustics" uh, because it's and there will be a link by the way. It's a great article. It's on our website, 
and there's a link in the show notes. So just go to the show notes for this podcast and follow the link to the blog he wrote for us. It's called Fixing the Low End in Your Studio Without Knowing Acoustics. It's a great article. Thanks. Great. Um, so yeah, let me let me go through it in sort of a, a few sentences. Um, so the idea is that you, uh, you find the optimal um, compromise between all the different room modes uh, in your room. I'm not going to go into the detail of what room modes are, but it's basically when you're when you're kind of moving, I'm sure everybody's uh, noticed this when you're playing some music and you move through your room and you, the, the bass at some at some points in the room, the bass is just super loud and at other points it's really quiet. And that's that's based on room modes. And these room modes are literally dependent on just the dimensions of your room. Now you can, uh, they, they kind of happen between all the different walls. So left, right, front, back, ceiling, floor. And depending on where you position yourself within that pattern of standing waves or room modes, that will determine what your bass sounds like, how balanced the bass is overall. You'll still get peaks and troughs in the response, but it doesn't it means that you can find a spot where it's it's overall it's kind of the best compromise. So the test for this is that you put one speaker, just one speaker, just in the corner on the floor, and you play some music that you know really well, uh, some music that uh, that has a, a varying bass line, so it's not like a one-note bass thing, which happens a lot in, <laughs> in electronic dance music, what I work on. Um, but so like several, let's say, three tracks that you know really well. So don't shoot a sine wave through the speaker. No, no, because you want to actually excite as many room modes as possible. You kind of want the full blast of problems coming and happening within the room. And so while you're playing music, you then just sit in your chair, the one that you'll be working at, so you're at the height that you're going to be working at. And you pick the central axis, one central axis of your room, because you want, eventually you'll want left-right symmetry. So you'll pick a, a central axis, uh, let's say front to back, and then you just play music. And as you're playing the music, you just roll in your chair from one end of the room all the way to the other end of the room. And you pay attention to how the bass changes as this happens. Because, and what, what, what basically what happens is that you're moving through this pattern of, of room modes as you're rolling across your room. And uh, there will be a point, you'll notice, where at some points the bass will drop out and some points it will be too loud. There will be, and basically what you want to listen out for is the, the balance between the subs, so the really low bass, and the kind of high bass, the punch, the chest. And just as an example, if you move up all, like if you move up um, right up to the wall, that's where you'll hear a lot of sub bass. That's where you'll hear, really hear the really low frequencies really accentuated. So that gives you an idea of what the one stream sounds like. And then as you move across, you kind of just listen out and pay attention to the balance between the low bass and the kind of high bass. That's just as a very, very rough starting point. And you do this for several tracks and you just you just make a mental note of where it sounds best to you, where the bass is the most balanced to you. And uh, and you really want to spend time with this because it's it's kind of it's 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 the the sort of the technique to figure out where you want to sit eventually and where the bass sounds the most balanced. And then once you've kind of get an idea of where that is, you can kind of hone in. You can maybe just kind of focus on the few feet where you notice that it's the best with with some, maybe some other tracks even. And and uh, what I do is I just kind of put us uh, put some tape out on the floor to to remember where that is, and then I test it with other tracks and uh, yeah and eventually you get a really good idea of how your room responds to bass and you get a really good idea of what you can do now like it, it might be that it's not gonna, it's not going to end up completely perfect 
but it's going to be the best that you can do in your room. Yeah, and I guess in some ways, you might consider doing this before you even buy a desk. Oh yeah, definitely. The easiest to do, the easiest or the best place to start is like right at the beginning, basically when the room is completely empty and you just got your speakers and you just, uh, you just have your chair and your speaker and that's it. That's kind of the best place to start because you want to then, because that, that, that spot will determine your, your base response. And then you kind of want to build your setup around that. So I always start with the position of the sweet spot relative to the room. And then I place using this technique and then I place my speakers relative to my sweet spot. So this is that's where I, I kind of turn things up on its head because people say start with placing your speakers and I say no 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 starts by placing your sweet spot and then you place your speakers relative to your sweet spot. That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> I think so, <laughs> and it works. I've done it many many times and I keep doing it. Obviously, the more I do it, the more I kind of get experience in it. But uh, if you take your time, I'm sure you can get good results as well. Yeah, far more of a logical approach in my opinion than positioning your speakers first yeah yeah the great thing is um that you don't need to know any you don't have to have any test equipment you can literally do this with just music that you love that that is a big deal i always hated using test equipment i it always felt weird to me and uh, that seems like a much better method so all right so you can control where you are in the room you said that the next thing is you deal with panels. Yeah. So like once you once you figure that spot out, you can then start building on that using panels like bass traps, for example, uh, that would go in the corners. Um, I would actually, to be honest, I would recommend for people really starting out uh, is to not start with bass traps, but start with uh, the first reflection points. And, Why is uh, that? Because there, it gives you a better bang for your buck, basically. Because the bass is gonna, it's the, it's tricky to kind of to. You really need a lot of bass traps to actually improve the bass to an extent where it's where it's where it's uh, very where it's really noticeable. But and you do have to take care of the first reflection points anyway, and they make a much bigger difference for the actual sound stage that you're getting from your speakers. So I'm a big fan of being able to to just intuitively pan, for example, you know. And if you've got uh, if you've got a good sound stage and it's uh and it's clean and it's um it's what's it's full-bodied let's say uh it's it's a much more ple pleasurable listening experience and it's much more it's much more intuitive to work with that kind of sound stage and so this is all about treating the left and right uh, early reflection points the back the front and the ceiling well and little little rooms tend to have nasty flutters yeah in them. yeah Actually, my take my take on flutters is um, it's I think it's not that big of an issue, um, and the reason for that is we we always kind of just clap our hands to test for flutter echo, right? Um, that's kind of the standard test, right? And there's one major issue with that, and that's a flutter echo basically happens between two parallel walls, right? It's the the sound the energy bouncing left to right or like just bouncing back and forth between two parallel walls on a on a on a straight line. And if you're on yeah. that straight line you'll hear it as pronounced as it can be. And obviously, if you clap your hand on that line, you're going to hear a massive flutter echo. The thing is, your hand never produces any sound. It's the speaker that produces the sound. And the speaker is in front of you. So the, there's actually an, an angle involved in that reflection coming back to you. And so a much better test would actually be uh, for flutter echoes would actually be to get a friend in and you sit in your sweet spot and you get your friend to stand, uh, to stand next to the speaker and clap his hands next to the speaker. That way you get an actual, uh, a much more realistic idea or much more, um, yeah, much more realistic idea, I guess, of what flutter echo sounds like you don't clap the speakers together 
<laughs> you can try. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wouldn't end up very well. No, no. But what you'll notice at that point is that uh, the, the flutter echo is not nearly as pronounced uh, than when you clap your hands next to your head. And Interesting. If you've, if you've got panels on uh, treating your early reflections, that's exactly what they're there for. They're there to uh, to suppress those reflections that you would hear in that case. And so, because that's again, that's like the kind of bang for your bucks uh, approach. I, I I don't really care about the rest of the room. I care about my mixing position. And uh, and as long as the flutter echo is suppressed where I'm sitting here, that's good enough for me to start off with, at least. So. Another issue with bass traps, yeah. and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that it's very hard to build them uh, big enough to be effective in small rooms. Yeah, and um, I, to be honest, it's it's not. I've, I, I used there to think that. I, See, I, I, I used to think that as well, <laughs> uh, and I did a lot of experimenting. And I obviously built this sort of ubiquitous super chunk uh, that gets um, that gets talked about a lot, and it does work. Of course, it works, um, but it's it's crazy difficult to build, and it's uh, in, yeah, in comparison, at least relatively speaking, and it's heavy and it's cumbersome and it's expensive. And I, I did a lot of experimenting, and uh, actually, I wrote an article about that on. on my new website, um, acousticsinsider.com, and you can go check that out, called uh, The Best and Only Insulation Material Need for DIY Absorbers. Um, and basically, I, I, ex I go through the experimentation with different materials and, um, and different depths, and, uh, and I'll, I'll show you how I came up with uh, this kind of ideal depth, which to me is around six inches or uh, 16 centimeters of, uh, of material depth for a, um, a mineral wool or a, a porous absorption material, a um, insulation material of about uh, 40 kilograms per meter cubed, which is about 2.5 pounds per uh, square foot, I believe. And that kind of is, is, so you end up with an absorber that is about, yeah, about six inches deep, depending on how you build the frame, it might be a little deeper. And that will actually give you base absorption down to around 60 hertz. So if you place it across the corners, that's kind of the, the, the way to go. So you have that air gap in, in behind and that increases base absorption a bit. A bit. And uh, yeah, so you can, you can easily get uh, base absorption below 60 hertz uh, or like down to 60 hertz, sorry. But you, you really do want those panels to be at least that deep. Uh, to be honest, I don't recommend them building them that much deeper because it's just it, you, the benefit you get is, is minute, uh, is, is, it's, it's kind of negligible. Uh, but the problem is if you make them thinner, you do lose base absorption. And one major issue with thin panels is that they reduce uh, reverb time unevenly, actually. That's kind of, it's one of those multidisciplinary things I was talking about before, you know? You're kind of, you're kind of putting in one panel and it's doing three things at, a, at one time and you got to make sure that it's doing the right three things for your room, you know? And so So one thing that I always recommend is make your panels deep enough, no matter where you use them, uh, because if you reduce the reverb time unevenly, that makes for a really unpleasant room to work in. And actually, uh, because you, you kind of get the highs and mids in check, but the lows are uncontrolled. And that's really unpleasant. So, so forget about two inch panels, forget about four inch panels, go for six inches. <laughs> Interesting. 
That that makes sense. Now, what about below 60 hertz? So yeah, at that point, you need to start thinking about different types of absorbers, right? At this point, we're only talking about um, porous absorbers, so mineral wool or or, or fiberglass, or um, there are several other materials out there. But basically, it's a it's a, it's insulation material, right? It's a porous absorber, and it's it uh, it it absorbs sound by converting the movement of air particles into heat, uh, so sound velocity actually, and this. Um, but we'll get into that later uh, or another time. Uh, but so if you want to if you want to absorb uh, energy below or at the really low frequencies, uh, you can either do that by having really, really deep um, uh, porous absorbers. And that's what you said. That's what you mentioned. I mean, if you really want to go down to like the 30 hertz, then you need something deeper or you just need a lot of these panels that I talked about. How deep? though? Uh, so there's this 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 quarter wavelength rule that uh, and that definitely works. And uh, so basically that just just says that you want to absorb or you want to position the absorb, uh, absorption material at a quarter of the wavelength of the frequency that you're trying to absorb, right? So let's say you want to absorb 100 hertz. That's always easy. Um, so that's around, uh, that's a wavelength of around 10 foot, I, 10 feet, I guess. So about three and a half meters, 3.4 meters. That's uh, that's really easy so to, to remember. And um, so if you want to absorb 100 hertz and you, you need to position for the most effective absorption, you want to mo- position that absorber at a quarter of the wavelength. So that would be around, what, 75 centimeters, which is around two, two, just over two feet, I guess. So this is where it's starting to get into the unrealistic side of things for people who have a room that's already exactly a so this certain is, size exactly so this is when you start like losing a lot of space or just basically you just can't yeah you you either lose a lot of space or you literally can't do it and so then at that point you can start thinking about other types of absorbers so this this mineral stuff insulation material is a is a velocity based absorber it it, it kind of breaks it, it stops the velocity the motion of the air particles and the other type of absorber is a resonance absorber so that's uh, that's a a pressure-based absorber and uh, so it's kind of just the reverse of a, a drum basically so it's it's uh, it's some sort of membrane some sort of panel that vibrates on top of an air cushion like a like a kick drum uh, in reverse and uh, and those and those can be tuned so this is a resonance absorber is always a tuned absorber while a, um, a porous absorber like mineral wool a panel isn't tuned it's just broadband and so those can be used to to very effectively to treat like to to absorb really low frequencies. And there's different types, uh, different kind of construction ways, uh, yeah, different ways of building these uh, these resonance absorbers. Just the kind of the standard panel one that I was talking about. And you can do that with wood, or you can do that with a heavy foil. You can do that with uh, like the the, um, the perforated panel is a is a resonance absorber. People use uh, steel sheets. So there are there are all different kinds, but these are these are more complicated, and in most cases they're actually overkill for a, for a typical home studio or or project studio scenario. So nor not underkill or overkill, but normal kill, I yes. guess, would be to just get <laughs> would be to just start by getting your first reflection points yes treated. 
Exactly. And then possibly some bass traps after exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. So like you can and the beauty of this this kind of working with these deeper panels is that you you don't you don't uh, you can just kind of expand as you go along. So you start with your first reflection points and then if you you, you will notice a, an, a, an improvement and then and then you decide okay, now I want to kind of tackle the bass and then you can build on uh, you can you can start thinking about uh, bass traps or using the same kind of panel um, for for bass trapping just kind of putting more of those in and um, yeah you can just kind of build as you go you kind of just progress throughout a a, a a more elaborate plan of room treatment and you just kind of start with first reflection and then you move through bass trapping you can then at, at, at some point you'll end up with uh, at, at sort of thinking about diffusion and all this sort of stuff but that's that's really much later down the line so is there a point where there's too much like say that you're just like okay I'm just going to build my entire room around me in six inch panels yeah and not really um so like you kind of you kind of you're kind of on a on a path to an anechoic chamber at that point (laughs) right too much would be no no reflections at all and like no standing ways or room modes at all and uh i'm sure you could work in such room it probably wouldn't be particularly pleasant um so like too much is fairly difficult to achieve i think i think the most uh the most kind of the the only too much really is if you end up with a reverb time that is 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 too low or is very low and in my experience actually low reverb times aren't that bad i was gonna say how is that a problem exactly it's it's as long as the reverb time is even across the entire spectrum that's that's kind of the critical thing Uh, low reverb times in general aren't really much of an issue it's it's kind of a taste thing more than anything but at that point you can start thinking about bringing more a reflection back in so in the form of diffusion to keep the reverb time high or higher while still having a lot of absorption in the room but uh, for the typical sort of home project studio scenario uh, you don't really have to worry about um, too much especially in, in, in bass trapping like literally the sort of the the you're, you're kind of you're kind of on a yeah you're you're aiming for you're on a path for um for just how, how do i say this the i guess the, the 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 goal is to have to completely suppress room modes at which point you'll have super tight amazingly translating bass and <laughs> who doesn't mm-hmm. want that right <laughs> Yeah, that so, sounds like the goal to me. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't think you have to worry about too much. Uh, you do have to worry about uneven reverb times, which you will get if you don't work with deep enough panels. But like I said, it's not it's not it's not crazy deep. Uh, just kind of stay away from the two four or two, two inches. Definitely four inches, maybe. Uh, but and foam definitely. Just forget about foam. Um, and I'm sure uh, there are people out there who've tried foam, and, and <laughs> you will know why I say you don't want to you don't want to buy foam. It's pointless. So there's a million sites out there. Yeah. About how to build panels. Yes. So. Are there any that you recommend above the others? Uh, no. To be honest, I think that's even one of the things that most of the, the commercial panels get wrong. It's the And that's really the depth. There is no guide as of yet that I've found that t- shows you 
sort of step by step how to build a six inch deep panel. To be honest, like, I mean, literally you can take any of the designs out there and just scale it up uh, because the important part is that your, your absorption material is six inches deep. Whatever frame you put that in is kind of up to you. Like it's, it doesn't really matter. Um, the important bit is that you have the right material and that it's deep enough. And uh, whatever frame you want to put that in is really up to you. You can kind of, uh, you can just you can think of like, you can just yeah, come up with your own design if you want. I mean, I came up with a design I find uh, fairly simple uh, to build. It's it's literally just a wooden frame with some supports um, and it's very sturdy uh, and it looks good and you can kind of build it from different types of wood, uh, which is nice. Um, but it's uh, it's a very simple design. It's very effective. It took a bit of experimenting to get there, but um, yeah, as long as you focus on uh, having the the right material, which I mentioned, forty kilograms per meter cubed or two point five uh, pounds per per cubic foot, and have it about six inches deep or sixteen centimeters, then you're good to go. And you can literally, like, if you want to put that in a bin bag <laughs> and hang it on your wall, that's fine. That will work. <laughs> I mean, I that's that's also one thing. Do put it put wrap them in plastic because that stuff is kind of nasty. Uh, as far as I know, it's there's no health risk involved. Um, but but it, uh, it's, it's itchy. It's itchy. Yeah, it's like you do. The, the, the fibers are kind of nasty to work with, and it, like if you don't cover them up, and they kind of fly around. It's and you don't want to inhale them. It's just not pleasant. Yeah, I've actually seen people put that stuff in a burlap sack. Yeah. and hang it on the wall. Yeah, it works. It's not pretty, but it works. Yeah, so you know you really can get away with that if you want. I've seen it done in actually really good studios. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's say we found an ideal position. Yes. We've treated our primary reflection points and even yes. done some base traps. We built perfect six-inch panels. What's next? What's next? Well, at that point, you should probably start thinking about how are you going to use the sound to work uh, first of all, I mean, we can we can sort of start. Uh, I mean, yeah, we can we can continue on the the sort of technical side of and then talk about diffusion and all this stuff. But for me, what becomes interesting at that point is psychoacoustics, actually, which is how our brain works with the sound. And uh, there are certain things I think that are are fairly important that uh, that kind of get neglected. Um, one of them being the volume that you work at. Um, I think that's that's a really important aspect. I'm not sure if that's interesting to you. That's uh, very interesting yeah. to me, but the. I've never, I've never read about that in uh, basically an acoustics uh, manual. Right. But, but we always tell people that if, when we're doing the mix crits, that yeah. if they're working in a shitty room, yeah. to mix at quieter volumes to yes. avoid exciting the room as much. Right. Now right. I don't know if that's true or not. Now I'm question. Now I'm questioning everything. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, um, the, uh, to be honest, like the, you're kind of just, if you're changing the volume in terms of room, uh, uh, thinking about the room responding, you're just, you're just kind of scaling up or down what happens anyway. So you're not, like, if you're working quietly, you'll still get the same effects because the, the, it's all about relative changes, right? So, like, the direct sound, the, the, the relation between the room reflections and the direct sound will remain the same. Like I mean, the, the the room doesn't stop responding just because you're working quietly. But what does happen when you're working quietly is that your brain is actually more sensitive to volume changes. So this is like I said when we when you get you get into into uh, psychoacoustics. So this is about how your brain actually hears because we 
like 80% of what we hear is our brain. It's not our ear. Our ear is just the, 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 the mechanics, but um, it's, uh, our brain actually does the hearing and the decoding. And that's why we have, we have to, like there's all these masking effects, temporal masking, frequency masking, um, precedence effect, all this kind of stuff, you know? It's because that's, that's our brain, that's not our ear. And, um, and so what happens is when you're working at quiet volumes is that our brain is actually more sensitive to volume changes. So in, in essence, that means we are more sensitive to transients. We are more sensitive to volume changes in the music. Uh, we are more sensitive to yeah macro and micro changes in volume. And if you think about it, everything in mixing is about volume. It's uh, I mean, EQ is a frequency-dependent volume change. A compressor yep. is a a um, is a, a a temporal volume change. It's, so it kind of works with with time, right? Um, uh, transient designer, obviously, um, all this kind of stuff. And uh, just coming back to the just the, the simple balancing of your track, right? Uh, volume automation, all this kind of stuff. And uh, and we're much more sensitive for all of that at quieter volumes. And it kind of it kind of gets less and less. This the sensitivity to volume gets less and less as we turn up the volume. And so at at really high volumes, we can't distinguish volume changes very well anymore and so we we can't really make better uh, good decisions so that's that's why it's important to work at quiet volumes uh, or that's rather that's the advantage of working at quiet volumes and um uh yeah mainly <laughs> um there, so there are several other things that come into play. Um, for example, the um, the um, the frequency balance, the frequency response of our brain also changes with volume. So this is kind of the the other side of the coin. When you are changing the volume that you're working at, you're actually changing the frequency response of your brain, and that's why I, I recommend. Uh, that's that's why I want to talk about volume because. Um, as you're, if you're, if you're constantly changing the the volume of your speakers as you're working, you're actually changing and affect the frequency response of your brain. It's it's about these Fletcher-Munson curves or equal loudness contours. You can Google that if you want to. So, so I I always say I always kind of make the the analogy to uh, a colorist for film. Let's say there's a guy coloring a film and he's supposed to really nail that one sort of style of coloration and but he doesn't he not not only does he not have a um, a a calibrated monitor a color calibrated monitor but he's actually working on a different calibration every day that's 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 kind of what we're facing when we're changing the volume while we're working because sounds inefficient it's it's well we're introducing a variable into what we're hearing that we have no control over and that's what makes it so difficult for most people to uh, to get an idea of what their, their the balance in their mix, what the balance of their mix is like, because they're changing the volume. Even even just three dB is enough, you know. And uh, and so you work on sort of with one frequency response one day, and then you're working with another frequency response another day. And coming back to this idea of the the colorist, you can sort of imagine that this guy is maybe he uses a uh, a reference, right? So he has a bit, a good reference. He knows okay, this is the style that I'm going for, and he can kind of put that in on the screen and he can kind of like use that as a guide so he doesn't know exactly what what's absolutely sort of in absolute terms what the color should look like but he can say okay my blue is supposed to look like the blue in this reference that i'm using right so that's that's kind of that's kind of what we can do with references at that point um but it's it's really tricky it's really difficult and uh the thing is uh if we if what we can do obviously is we can just fix the volume that we're working at and this is what i do i i literally work at the same volume 
consistently for every mix. I make sure that my, my projects, as I'm mixing, are at the same volume. I have a setting on my monitor controller that is calibrated. So I know if I set it to that particular point on my monitor controller, I get a certain uh, volume. And so why do you think that it is that mixers, and good mixers too, like to check their low end sometimes very loud for a few seconds and then turn it back down because because uh, the the frequency response changes in a way uh, that we do want to kind of know i guess you I mean if the, especially if the the music is played at, at, at on big pa systems or some, something you kind of you kind of want to check what that sounds like you know and uh, and uh, there's definitely some merit in that to be honest i think there's more merit in kind of uh, having uh, a a set volume to work at and working at a quiet level for the reason I mentioned before because of the sensitivity to volume changes. The loud, the working really loud, it's interesting and you can sort of double check that nothing crazy happens. Uh, and But for me personally, I don't see much value in, in really turning it up that loud. I, I don't do that. And my mixes uh, translate perfectly. I actually just, <laughs> uh, I can't not brag about this. I literally just got, uh, one of my mixes just went gold in France and uh, got gold status, which I'm really happy about and I wasn't expecting. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. That's great. And I don't check at lou loud volumes. I work, I have my set level and I check quiet levels and that's it. Um, because the loud volume really doesn't tell me anything. It literally just makes my my um, my ears, it just tires my ears and that's it. I think, I think that, Mixing loud is just a horrible idea. Yeah, it probably just, I mean, it just, it just breaks your ears and that's yeah. pretty much it. <laughs> There's but it, nothing, nothing but else to get. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> but then, then kind of just, uh, then if you want to have fun, then do that for that purpose. I think it's, it's, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's not a, a working tool. It's not a tool in our toolbox, I guess, or it's not a tool in my toolbox, at least. Yeah. Okay. So once you have a good, working volume you're comfortable with then what so then the thing is what what happens is that you your brain starts getting accustomed to what your room sounds like at that volume so that's that's the critical part to all of this is that your brain your you get to know what your room sounds like at that volume what exactly what your room sounds like at that volume and then you can actually start making much more intuitive decisions about where you want your levels to be because you can then you can then also just pull in reference tracks you can pull in some track that you that you know sounds great and you like the balance of and you kind of think okay this might work for my track and you can pull that in and you can reduce the volume of that track to your your working volume uh, so like I always check RMS levels that's a really easy way to to level match a reference to your your project and then you get to listen to your reference at the volume that you decided that you know really well and then you can make apples to apples comparison between your project and your reference and if you do this long enough if you just kind of spend six months doing that in your room you'll get a really really detailed idea of what your room sounds like and if you've then got your your acoustics in check uh, you can start making very quick and very reliable decisions so this is the first time that i've ever really heard someone break down 
what they actually mean by yeah. in your room. people say this all the time and they never say what it actually means and yeah i i kind of i i got really interested in this kind of stuff and obviously through my just through working i started experimenting and i started noticing this these effects i mean it it all kind of started with louder is better right we all say louder is better but how much louder is better how sensitive are we to louder is better and in my case i found out i am so sensitive to it that 0.1 db makes a difference and so i i level match all my references on average that's really important rms or you can use one of those uh new loudness measuring tools uh, based on like uh like the r128 guideline or whatever they're called um but yeah um I'm super sensitive to the stuff. That's that's what I noticed, and that I need to level match, um, and and only at that point can I really make comparisons because louder is better. We're so we're so it's so programmed into our brains that we have to eliminate that variable. We have to kind of get rid of it before we can make any comparisons that are actually legitimate, sort of like uh, proper comparisons. Am I right in thinking that it's so programmed into our brains that it's something we react to without even maybe consciously oh, perceiving that there's that's, a volume the difference. Problem. Yeah, because that's point one dB Okay, because point one DB Nothing. is like very hard to perceive if, if at all. even Yeah, I mean one one D B is set to be the just noticeable level difference. Right, that's what one dB mm -hmm. is. That's how it's defined. It's the just notable, uh, noticeable level difference. So, point one dB to most people doesn't doesn't really make a difference. Like, well, at least it's way beyond the difference they can hear. And I I can't hear point one dB level difference, but I can perceive. I can feel the difference. And it it makes comparisons really difficult, yeah? and so I that's why I, I don't make any compromises. I just say I, I'm not going to compromise on this. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to make it exactly the same loudness. Those two the the two kind of pieces of audio that I'm comparing. This is this is really great for mastering, by the way. If you're if you're checking a master, because you you kind of obviously master in mastering the the track gets really loud. Mainly that's what they do. They make it really loud. They might do subtle compression changes or they might do subtle EQ changes. Maybe not so subtle even <laughs> depending on what they want to do <laughs> i guess it depends exactly. on who it is and how good the original mix is but you kind of want to get rid of that variable loudness so you can get down into the actual changes to the song to the music that they made when i check a master what i do is i pull the master into my session and i compare it to my uh to the high definition mix that i exported for them and i'm level match the two and that way i don't have that um loudness difference to confuse me into thinking something is happening that isn't actually happening and so i can tell okay the the, the music changed in this way and then I can look at the metering and I can say, I can look and say, okay, uh, I had to reduce my master by 12 dB. So, uh, so he boosted, the mastering engineer boosted the track by 12 dB. So that's, that's kind of the two things that I can then say from that check. I see. Okay. That's very, very interesting cool. to me, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the, if my mind is a little bit blown, but it makes perfect sense just because you can't consciously notice something doesn't yeah. mean it's not happening and, and you're basically saying to take this out of the realm of what we think we understand and into the realm of 
what's exactly. actually happening. Exactly. So this we're like this this loudness, this volume thing just dominates everything. It's it's such a strong psychoacoustic effect that we need to have it in check. We need to control it in order to work with it. And and what happens is when you start controlling it, when you start making it a, a conscious part of your workflow, uh, is that you will you get such a, a lot more detailed ideas of what's actually happening in the music. You get to actually tell what the balance of your track is like you can actually get you get actually get to tell how what the dynamics of your track is like if you have too much dynamics then it sounds kind of 80s or if it's too little dynamics and then it sounds like it's from 2000s you know um it's it's this kind of stuff 2009 2009. you get to first of all you get to you get to you get to develop your taste without loudness breaking the the assessment i guess the when you start hearing music on a level matched basis you you actually get to you actually get to tell or get to get to say oh wow this this is how much dynamics i like this is how much bass i like in my mixes and then because you're working at this calibrated volume level and at the same loudness you get to then put that back into your mixes well i always tell people when they're a being yeah. to other mixes to yes. level match but you're just telling people to do it to a much crazier yeah. degree which makes sense. I don't. I think, especially when you get more experienced, you at that point you don't need to do it that meticulously anymore. I think there are a lot of people out there. I think probably I don't know, but probably many great mixers. If you ask them, uh, they probably do this inherent like intuitively. They don't even think about it. But uh, this kind of level matching thing, uh, as once you know your what your room sounds like at a certain volume and what you like at that volume, um, you you can much more. You can like I said, you can make these decisions much more, much more intuitively and at that point it's it probably not that necessary to be that meticulous about level matching anymore but especially for people starting out it's uh, it's the most powerful learning tool i think and it's it's brutal you're gonna hate it <laughs> but um it's absolutely brutal but it'll help you learn quicker than anything else so when do clouds and diffusion even come into so, play? Okay, going back to that. So clouds uh, to me are part of the early reflections control, right? So so cloud uh, okay. will actually be uh, part of the first things that you want to do. And because it's an early reflection, it's going to go somewhere above your um, above your setup, right? Got it. And uh, just to mention this, there's a, there's a test out there and I'm going to write about that myself when I get to it. It's called the mirror test and it's, it's just uh, uh, basically it, it means hold up a mirror to the wall or the, the 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 surface that you want to put an absorber on that you kind of if you're if you're wondering if there's a first reflection happening you hold up a mirror to that wall and uh, once and while you sit in your sweet spot a friend holds a mirror up to a wall moves that mirror along the wall at ear height and then sort of as you uh, the point where you see the speaker in the mirror from your sweet spot, that's where the reflection happens because that's because sound's going to take the same path as, as light. So there's it's it's kind of like playing pool or like billiards. It's uh, inbound angle equals outbound angle, right? And so uh, that point where the reflection happens in the mirror, that's where the first reflection happens, and that's where your absorber needs to go. And this happens on your left wall, your right wall, your back wall, your front wall, and on the ceiling, on the floor as well. But we can't do anything about it. But so on the ceiling, that's where the cloud would go. So. Uh, is that, does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Perfect sense. So you already covered clouds at the, <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of it's, this. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of the two okay. the two kind of realms or uh, 
the two categories of control that you want to work with, that you want to do to your room are first reflections, which happen in the plane of your monitors and your ear, so at ear height or in the vertical plane, sort of the axis between your monitor and your ear. And then, so that's kind of one area of control that you want to that you want to get in check. And then the second is kind of base, and that's that's irrespective of early reflections. And so at that point, we're talking about corners and how uh, room modes work in your room. And there's there's a whole other, it's a, no, a whole other bag of tricks to, <laughs> to do that. Maybe just to say, to start off with, is that uh, the more, the better, and start close to where your setup is. I think that's a, that's a very, very broad general rule that you can't go wrong with to start off with. Um, uh, without going into too much detail. All right. So, okay. So let's go back to psychoacoustics. So we've decided that we're going to level match. We've done all the level matching. Then what? Right. So so maybe just uh, as a quick idea of how you can set, you ca- calibrate in quotation marks your your monitoring system. Um, so the, the idea is to have to have a, a level in your in your DAW that you work at, and then to have that level represented on your speakers yeah, to a certain kind of match to a certain volume right and that's where your monitor controller comes in so you want to set your level in your daw and you want to set the level of your speakers through your monitor controller and the the there's there's like you can you can definitely follow some some like rules like from the movie industry blah 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 on what level that needs to be but i think the the, the important part is that uh you don't set it too loud or too quiet um so f- what i always recommend is if you want to set your level for your monitor controller, just do it at the beginning of a session. Do it at the, as the first thing you do when you, when you get again in your studio one day and you decide, okay, I want to calibrate my monitors. Just kind of play around with volumes of, of your monitor controller and see what, like, what, what volume you like that isn't too loud and isn't going to break your ear. And you'll have a pretty good idea of what that is, but what, what, basically what you think is comfortable. And then you just, you just mark down that position on your monitor controller with, like, with a pen or some tape. Or if, if you're just changing the volume in your DAW, on the on master fader i don't recommend it but in your in your sound cards uh in your interfaces volume thingy volume knob then just remember what that setting is that you decided that you want to work at and then just stick to it <laughs> that's it just stick to it uh for like literally can keep coming back to it change it if you want if you decide okay i want to listen louder listen louder if you say okay i want to do this whole uh checking transients like being more sensitive to to uh to volume changes thing work quietly and then come back to that volume setting and uh, and that should be your kind of your go-to volume. I was I, I kind of want to develop a monitor controller at some point, and it doesn't even have a, a volume knob. All it has is three buttons for three volumes, like quiet, normal, and loud. Because <laughs> that's all I need, you know. That's actually a great idea. It, and once you calibrate it, would it be relative to? your central point you mean uh yeah you mean the the buttons on that on that idea yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly so like yeah. the normal setting would be kind of your 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 uh your go-to work setting that you could maybe calibrate with some little switches on the back uh with like some little knobs on the back or something and then and then you could say okay the quiet version is like 15 db down and the loud version is like 10 db up or something i don't know something like that that'd be fun that would be really cool actually it would be cool right okay yeah um because I think that I I see where you're coming from with all this, and one of the things that 
I think every mixer does is as they're getting tired, they slowly exactly. turn up the volume. And they do all kinds of dumb things like that that they yes. know they shouldn't, <laughs> but they, I mean, we all know we shouldn't, but it's yes, just so it easy. And, and it's, it's a natural response to your brain getting tired, right? It's, it's like it's, ex yes. just, it's, it's exhaustion that drives the volume up. And I mean, to be honest, when it comes to that point, it's really time to take a break. <laughs> it is. It's almost like a, an IV, IV drip where you have control. It's just like, I feel just a little more pain. Just turn the volume up just a little more. <laughs> Just tickle, just tickle the, the pain, please. Just a, just a little just, bit. Yeah, just a, just a little more volume and just make the pain go away. So, all right. So what's uh, so after that? What are we? Man, it, it just well actually yes. before you answer that, just if you think about it, I'm talking to the audience, guys. If you think about it, everything that we've talked about till this point doesn't require no. that much money no and the thing is this especially positioning and doing this calibrated monitor yeah. thing that doesn't cost you anything you can do that right now just effort. just time and actually less time than you think and it pays off so much yeah so i mean this kind of kills the idea that you can only do this if uh you yeah, have a ton you don't. of money you just need to know what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah. what my new website, Acoustics Insiders, uh, AcousticsInsider.com is all about. Uh, that's exactly what I want to dive into is, is showing people how to work in their rooms, especially like music professionals get, get a, show them how to be confident in their sound, uh, how to, how to get reliable, uh, reliable results consistently, um, through acoustics and psychoacoustic workflow tricks, I guess. Well, I hope that you are collecting emails for <laughs> your am. website. <laughs> I am definitely. So, and okay, guys, good. if you want to jump on board on that, uh, definitely visit my my site there and and uh, and sign up. Oh, so by the way, I found your email sign up. If you go to jescolohan.com slash sign up, and you spell his, and you, if you're listening to this episode, you already know how to spell his name. But just in case. <laughs> It's J E S C O L O H A N dot com slash right. sign up. And uh, you'll, uh, like it says on that page, sign up here to stay up to date about my progress. I'm, a, I'm assuming that that's your progress. With that's exactly right. Inside. And so I kind of just, I got the, the, the new website ready just a few days ago. And uh, so I'm kind of shifting my, my presence from my personal, or my, well, not my personal, but my kind of mixing overall personal website sound engineering website over to uh to acousticsinsider.com and so like if you kind of if that's that's if that's what you're interested in and you uh you want you want to learn more about acoustics learn more about psychoacoustics that's uh that's where you should go and uh but i mean both both sign up forms on all all the websites they all lead to the same thing so it's you're good on yescolohan.com as well awesome well let's keep yeah. talking so what's uh What's after level matching? So after level matching, I think you've got a, a pretty. I think you're, you've got probably got a, uh, your your work cut out for you <laughs> if you started doing that, and you'll probably see uh, uh, you'll probably see improvements to your mixing very very quickly. Um, but at that point, obviously, uh, we can uh, yeah we can start talking more about like more acoustics uh, diffusion. You mentioned. I mean, we can we can definitely talk about that. Diffusion really is. 
is all about just getting rid of those last um, uh, specular reflections, so like sort of direct reflections. And this is really about uh, improving the, the the overall or the the, the t yeah the character of your room. Let's say you know, like if you really want a a, a e, an even sound across your room, um, then you can start thinking about using diffusion. Um, if you if you record, obviously this is this is really important. Sorry. If you um, if you record, then you 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 that that's more when you you want to start thinking about diffusion because you uh, you kind of get you kind of get a, a much more even and usable reverb sound from your room. So, but I mean, obviously, at this, up to this point, we've been kind of talking about a, a mixing production. So you mean like yeah, in a like drum in a drum room, room or, or in a yeah, and just in any kind of recording space, you know? Or let's say you want the back part of your your project studio to be uh, a recording space, you know? And then sort of at this point, we've we've dealt with the first reflections for our mixing position, our sweet spot. Um, but let's say you've got like a, a guitarist and a singer doing some recording in the back of your room, right? So the walls there are still going to be bare. And at that point, y you will get flutter echo because obviously the singer, the microphone, let's say for a singer, is kind of right in front of their face. And uh, as they sing, that flutter echo will be pronounced. Um, and so, I mean, you can start working with angles and all this stuff. Um, but this is this is kind of when you want to start thinking about uh, diffusion. Although you could all still do it with absorption if you want to. <laughs> you can just get rid of those reflections with absorption. It's probably cheaper. But uh, yeah, that's kind of when you want to start thinking about uh, diffusion. Um, it's uh, Diffusion is kind of a... Um the bang for your buck isn't particularly great with diffusion. Let's just say like that because they're they're kind of cumbersome to to build. They're expensive uh, material-wise, lots of material involved. You, if you actually want proper diffusion, you have to calculate them. So your bookshelf will help a little, but not really. Um, and uh, that's so what you, I was just about to ask. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, you can do that, and it probably helps a little. Um, you kind of you just want to make sure if you put a bookshelf there, you just fill it randomly with stuff, right? You want those. You want it to be as kind of broken up as possible, the surface of that bookshelf, right? But uh, proper diffusion uh, is based on mathematics. And uh, there are calculators online if you want to do this. It's not difficult to do with these calculators. It's just cumbersome and, uh, and expensive in the end if you want to build them. They're heavy. They're difficult to put on the wall. And they're really restricted in frequency. That's another thing. Like if you, like, you ha really have to design a, a diffuser for a particular frequency range. Um, and you'll notice that if you want to get into the really high highs with diffusion, that you need to make those those little pieces of wood really tiny, <laughs> and that just it makes the it kind of like exponentially raises the time involved in building one of those. And if you want to diffuse low frequencies, the thing has to be huge. So, so diffusers are are uh, are very limited in bandwidth, and uh, you kind of want to focus them on the on the the frequency ranges that are important to you when you record, for example, in this in this in this scenario. So diffusion in terms of a yeah. mixing room, this is where we're starting to talk about the final last yes. few percentage of getting yes. the room tuned. Oh, so it's not even that no. important. Um, if you've taken care no, of everything else. I don't else. think it's important at all. <laughs> and that explains why it's so yeah, damn expensive, yeah. how much yeah. goes into it. Because, man, if you look up some professionally made diffusers, they are by far the most expensive yes, part. Yes, definitely. They are super expensive. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you, it's 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 kind of the last, like you said, it's the last few percent. You know, you I think there's like for example for a recording space, you could you could kind of do it a bit more ghetto, I guess, by just have putting putting some uh, put some kind of slanted panels on the wall. You know, instead of building a a diffuser that really breaks up re a reflection based on the mathematical formulas and it's super efficient and it's great, it works. But you could also just kind of put some some angled panels on your walls that direct those reflections either into the ceiling or into the floor and and soak in that way kind of get rid of the reflection but without killing the energy right i mean that's the whole point of diffusion right you kind of you break up a certain reflection or you get rid of a reflection but you don't reduce you don't get rid of that energy and uh, and if you if you do some of that 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 would probably help okay so basically don't worry about yeah, diffusion don't worry about diffusion <laughs> <laughs> so i mean I like to live by the eighty twenty rule yes, as much me as too. possible. Me even too. though, even though um, the thing about eighty twenty as applied to life is that it's it's kind of bullshit, but it's kind of not. And the reason I say it's kind of yeah, bullshit why? is because there's no formula for yes. life. So to just be like eighty twenty, it. I mean, maybe that it's actually eighty six fourteen for some things. Yeah, yeah. But but the idea of bang for the buck. And uh, put your focus on the things that matter. Yeah, that get you the most return yes. on investment. Yes. I, I think that that's the best and smartest way to live, especially when it comes to audio, and especially if uh, you're not making a million dollars a year at exactly. mixing, or you have a very, very limited environment yes. that you're in, meaning it's already built, you can't do anything about it. You'll get divorced over it or whatever. Please don't. Um, yeah, yeah, please, exactly, <laughs> please don't. Um, uh, there's a bunch of things you can do before you even get to There's diffusion. a whole bunch of things you can so, do, yeah. And you, you, might, you might find that you won't ever have to get there. Yeah. Okay, well, we have a few questions from our listeners. Yes, please. If, uh, if you Absolutely. don't mind answering them, I'm going to bring them up right now and what's funny to me is that you've probably already talked to some of these guys <laughs> it's possible. in your per in your personal consultations possible, yeah okay so i'm gonna find some of these that we haven't already talked about because like for instance tyler rodriguez is asking what's the simplest thing someone can do to make their listening environment better than often that's overlooked and it's like i feel like we already discussed it's, yeah and it's positioning it's just a matter of doing yep. how to do it right and um and uh, one thing i need to mention here at this point is because uh the the 38 rule gets uh gets quoted a lot and this technique is is basically the updated 38 rule so the the because the 38 rule is based on ideal room geometry and basically purely 100 ref reflecting surfaces and that's never the case in a real room so this technique basically tries to find the spot that it, people identify using the 38 rule but under the conditions that you're of your actual room so that's that's would be my answer to him okay Great. Here's another one that we kind of already talked about from Alex Nasla when he's asking, how necessary is it to have loud harps accord in a good metal mix? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and I'm the perfect he, guy to answer that because I don't mix any metal at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, so how necessary is diffusion for achieving the best possible listening environment? We just yeah. talked about that for yeah, a while. Exactly. Not that important. And he, he, 
he also asked, do you have a good DIY method for it? And we just talked about well, that, yeah. too. No. Not yet. Well, it will come. <laughs> okay. Anthony Potenz is asking, how much does monitor size affect your listening? I'm in a big room and using eight inches right now, but was looking at a few higher end monitors right. that are 6.5. Yeah. So I would love to understand this part of monitoring better. And I can tell you, he's in a very big right. room. He's like in one of those old school, big fucking control That's awesome. rooms. That's awesome. Like like acoustics gets just gets better with a room size so and that's a general advice out uh, to everybody out there if you're looking for a new room the bigger the better it's as simple as that and in terms of monitor size um i think it doesn't really matter too much as long as you can physically do what you need to do <laughs> with your monitors like literally like if you've identified your your listening position if you can still put up the the um, the, the stereo triangle like literally practically put it up in the way that you need it to be without a wall getting in your way, then that's fine. Then it, by all means, use a huge monitor. Like, I mean, there's there's like, there's like something to be said about how the, 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 the sound kind of melds between the tweeter and the woofer, let's say, in a two-way uh, two monitor. So there's a kind of a, there's an ideal distance from a monitor at which the sound is kind of its most coherent, I guess you could kind of say, uh, and or it needs a certain distance for it to kind of match up if that makes sense so with with especially with i mean uh, f midfield or far field monitors they're not made to uh, to be listened to at uh, a, me a meter's distance you know so like um you kind of want to pay attention to that so if like the the manufacturer said this is a near uh, a far field monitor you probably don't want to use it as a near field monitor but um yeah. <laughs> otherwise uh in terms of physicality that's uh, you just kind of if you can make it work then then that's fine makes sense okay so Bruno Leo Riverio was asking, where do you find inspiration outside music? And what makes you keep feeling passionate about your work? Oh, wow. Um, I, I am definitely inspired a lot through all forms of art. So I, I've, I have discovered as kind of easy, as simple as that sounds, I rediscovered movies. Uh, and I don't even look at, like, I don't watch, like, kind of big, like, classics, like, sort of the classics of movie. I literally like Seth Rogen sort of style of comedies. But there's an art in that kind of movie as well, in that art, in that kind of film. There's definitely something to, like, cin cinematography and all this stuff that really inspires me. And there's a lot of parallels between all the arts, uh, dance. Uh, my girlfriend is, um, is, a, is a pole dancer, and she's uh, and and just a fantastic dancer. And she's she incorporates uh, dance into her performances and the emotion of of yeah, it's just emo expression into her performances that I find really inspiring. And and we talk about this a lot. And and we look at other people's performances and we discuss what we see and how it, it makes us feel. And and um, and I get inspired by all forms of art, to be honest. And uh, I think there's no hard rules there. You know, it's just like when you like something, then it speaks to you. And if you don't like something, then it doesn't. And uh, and so yeah, I get inspired by all sorts of stuff. Uh, business as well. I um I find there's something really interesting in in communication. In um yeah in, in yeah I guess helping people or the the value of helping people uh, under what circumstances you do that. Um, I find that really inspiring as well. I think about, about that a lot. Um, I've tried a few things <laughs> and failed at a few things and <laughs> and um, we all? and um, and that definitely inspires me as well. So yeah, like 
I read. I read a lot. Um, I, I meditate. I find a lot of inspiration from meditation, from looking inside, kind of just kind of trying to just kind of noticing yourself, just learning or yeah, learning to look at yourself and realizing what's there and, and accepting what's there. And and uh, it's challenging at times, but it's it's really inspiring as well. It feels really good. Okay, here's one from Andrea Gianelli, which is. What's your number one philosophy when it comes to mixing? Follow the emotion of the music. That's it. The mix is... Mixing is portraying the emotions of the music as effectively to the listener as possible. And that's it. If you can do that... I completely agree. Yeah, and it doesn't... And nothing else matters, literally. Nothing else matters. If that's... Or rather, that's by far the most important thing because nobody will care about music that... Uh, that doesn't talk to them and it doesn't matter how good the mix technically is so it's all about conveying emotion and uh, and use whatever tricks you've got in your tool bag to do that okay here's another one from alex nasla which is if you add a sub to your monitor system how does that change what's needed in terms of treating the listening environment uh, nothing because uh, a sub literally by hey alex by the way we talked and <laughs> we had a good time talking to each other uh, nothing changes. Did he ask you about harpsichords? Uh, I, I don't remember. I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, no, nothing changes because a sub is literally an extension of your monitoring system, right? And uh, and nothing changes uh, in terms of your room. You still want to find this, the, the, the listening position using the same technique because that's going to be the place where the, the support for bass is going to be the most balanced uh, or the like the, the kind of the the composition of your bass frequencies of through these room modes is going to be the most balanced. And so, and a sub literally just plays into that concept or it, it just kind of excites more energy in that area. Um, but nothing really changes. Um, a sub is literally just an extension of your monitoring system. And um, there's definitely uh, sort of a process to positioning a sub and tying it in with your with your main speakers, um, and I, I, I definitely want to get into that at some point. Um, it's it's not quite as trivial. Um, I'm kind of working on a procedure to do that by ear. Give me some time with that. <laughs> it's not easy. All right, we'll give you some time. <laughs> but it's going to come eventually. <laughs> All right, here's one from David Fuller. Is there a difference in treatment between two-way monitors with a sub and three-way monitors? No. No, uh, the ideas are the same. Um, I mean, the the you kind of you kind of treat the speaker as a source of sound. If it's a two-way monitor or a three-way monitor, that uh, makes no difference. It's more, I guess, because the three-way monitor tends to be larger, so uh, it's more the practicality of putting it where it needs to go. Uh, that's gonna be a bit different, I guess. But um, no, there's no difference. Okay, here's one from Runar Magnuson. Hey, Yesco, as you know from earlier. I have big bass traps that are pretty effective, and my first reflection panels and cloud are four inches. I'm guessing you guys. We did speak. Runa's a great guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, we love him. Will there be a benefit of thickening those panels to six inches, like I've seen you recommend? Uh, I guess so, because at this point, if you, uh, so he said, wait, he said he's got uh, the bass traps already, and then he's got four-inch panels at his first reflection points, right? He said, 
He has big bass traps that are pretty yes. effective, and his first reflection panels and clouds are four right. inches. So no, well, probably probably not at that point. To be honest, if he if he did a if he did a good job at building those bass traps really deep, and they do what they're supposed to do, then he's controlling the reverb time and the lows through those. Because I mean, that's that's my main concern, right? With sort of shallow traps, is this reverb time issue? Uh, but if you're if you're taking care of uh, the bass frequencies, if you're taking care of the reverb time in the bass, and there's some there's a, definitely a point to argue about what that actually is. But if you're taking care of that. Through Base tra- those deep bass traps, uh, then you've probably got that in check, and you probably don't need to make your first reflection points any uh, any deeper and your absorption there. Okay, another one from Runar. He says, and another yes, question. Please, I've killed early reflections on the sides and ceilings as well, dealing with console reflections by following your suggestions to lower my yes. monitors. Mm-hmm. But I still have a bit of comb filtering yes. throughout the spectrum yes. when I measure with Room EQ Wizard. I also have some high mid whistling. What's the next step in further treatment? So high, yeah. So give us a little background as to what he's even. Talking so basically, about. he had his he had his uh, so he's got his his console. He's got a, a nice console set up, and he had his speakers, his KRK monitors, up on stands fairly high above his console, and uh, I think they were quite far apart as well if i remember correctly and uh, he was he said that he could really hear the reflection of the console and and it's possible and so i suggested that he lower his speakers so that the um, the reflection coming off the 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 console doesn't reflect back to his head so basically because a, a comb filter is is basically a is is basically the direct sound combining with a reflection right and i mean comb filters is uh, are nasty right i mean it's it's kind of what you hear when you're mixing and you pan you decide you want to make this mono track stereo so you pan one you kind of double it and then you put one to the left and one to the right and then you delay one by 5 milliseconds or 12 or whatever and then if you combine them if you collapse through that back to mono those those start start interfering and that's a, that's what you're here right the comb filters of those of those two tracks interfering and it's the same that what happens with the direct sound and a reflection so that's what he was hearing and so i suggested that he could uh, lower his monitors behind his console so that the reflection uh, off the desk actually kind of bounces past his head because it's it's kind of too shallow if that makes sense it's kind of difficult to explain without um without uh, a proper image but and he did that and uh and he said that that was really successful um but then i mean there are always like if you measure your room that's what i said there's no such thing as a flat frequency response there like you always get reflections coming back and you will always get comb filters unless you are in an anechoic chamber or like you see those pictures of the blackboard studios which is literally diffusion everywhere um, so that will probably take care of that as well. But you will get comb filters, and it's it's not it's not that big of a problem um, because your brain gets used to it. You know, our auditory memory is super short; it's it's under a second, I think, and we just get used to what we're hearing, and and our brains will compensate. You know, like comb filters are an issue if they're very very strong, but even at that point, your brain probably gets used to them, and you get used to it, and uh, you can make the perfectly fine decisions under those circumstances if you're working at a calibrated volume <laughs> and you level match your references because then you get to know what that sounds like even with uh, your reference material you know so i wouldn't worry too much about seeing comb filters in your uh, in your measurement about the what did he say the high zing what did he call that he said 
High mid whistling. whistling. High mid whistling. Yeah. Kind of kind of difficult to say. Stop whistling. <laughs> <laughs> just stop whistling while you're mixing. <laughs> just stop whistling. Yeah, you won't get high mid whistling. Um I to be honest, I I don't really know what he know what he means at this point, so I'd have to check back with him and, and maybe we can narrow it down to figure out what that issue actually is. Whistles, I normally when I hear whistling, yeah. usually I'm hearing that in cymbals that are broken, yeah, okay. or in guitars that need EQ. Right, right. And so at that point, it's, it's not in the material. It's not in your room, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not usually Runar sitting next to me whistling <laughs> while, I'm, while I'm trying to mix. So here's another one from Andrea Gianelli, which is: if you had to destroy one piece of gear from your rig, what would it be? Uh, I have I have some old Lexicon reverbs that are just sitting there looking pretty not doing anything and um and they're to be honest i should tie them in and see if they do anything for me but um i'd probably start with those to be honest i have i work purely in the box i have i got rid of all my all my outboard gear i mixed through uh i mixed through a mixing console for ages and i did tons and tons of comparisons and i noticed that it didn't help me one bit like Boom. um it's it's literally it it uh, because i'm a workflow nut i want to work fast i want to work reliably and a mixing console just just made things difficult <laughs> and it didn't didn't do much for the sound not enough to merit the 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 inconvenience of working so i got rid of it and so i'm completely in the box now and uh, i'm super happy with that and uh, so i don't have much gear to destroy unfortunately <laughs> i usually tend to sell everything that i don't use is that an argosy halo it desk is. that i yes, see it is. i have I yeah have one it's of lovely those. i love it it's great that's a good good it's piece awesome, of gear yeah. Here's another one from Runar Magnuson. I've heard advice regarding monitor height, like how you shouldn't have them so low that they have to be tilted more than 10 inches to get the tweeters aimed at your ears. What's your take on that? So, uh, I guess that's what he did at the moment, right? Based on my recommendations. So, uh, yeah. I mean, why don't let, let me first say he should be the judge of it himself. Like, what's what's uh, if he if he tried it? What uh, Runar like? What 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 results are you getting? You know, does it sound okay to okay to you? And there's like what happens is kind of you get there's like a reflection. It gets really nerdy basically at that point because you start have to start thinking about the the reflection patterns coming off of your desk uh, where they are where they are going. Um, you have to think about the um, dispersion characteristics of your loudspeaker different loudspeakers have different uh, dispersion characteristics and all these sort of things come into play but i i don't see there's there's also something to be said about uh, where you place your monitor in terms of height relative to the height room mode and uh, but i did a, a bit of experimenting with that and came to the conclusion that it's not as important uh, as where you sit hence my test of <laughs> determining the sweet spot mm -hmm. so i don't really see a problem putting the monitor lower uh lowering it and um, and and pointing the tweeter upwards if it sounds good if it sounds all right i guess it works you know now i have a question yeah. for you okay take a look at this picture by the way this picture that we're talking about is in your show description so uh so that you guys can see what I'm talking about. I'm over Skype. Here's a link to the Facebook group. Someone just posted this and said that they were working in this room today. And uh, 
It's fucking gorgeous. Oh, I, I, uh, I have a bit of an issue that I can't open it because I'm on my uh, workstation computer and I don't sign up to Facebook here. So Okay, so let me give you a screenshot yes, please. in your Skype. Yes, please. We have multiple ways to solve this problem. <laughs> okay, there's a reason I want you to take a look okay, at this control yeah. room. Okay, let me know that you got this. All right, let's have a look. Oh yeah, this is this was on uh, on the URM uh, Facebook group recently, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yes that's uh, that's where I'm yeah. grabbing mm -hmm. it from. Okay, obviously, a lot of money went into yes. this room, and that view is tremendous. Yes. And it's great, but uh, God, there's glass yes. everywhere, and that scares yes. me. And I'm wondering, in your opinion, obviously, you're not there yeah. right now. When you look at this, do you look do you look at it and say, "Oh shit, there's glass everywhere?" or do you say, "Thank God it's so big because the bigger you get, the less of a problem exactly. you have." Exactly. So the first thing when I see this is like the uh, first thing I think is, "Wow, that's a huge room. They probably don't have any issues at all." <laughs> sort of thing and then glass glass isn't necessarily a problem like uh you can angle glass and that's i assume that's what they did here i i remember reading about the studio a while ago and i don't know exactly what they did but i i imagine that's what what they did uh, so that you can angle glass it's probably quite far behind the speakers there's quite some distance between the window and the speakers and so um the thing oh that's peter gabriel's peter Gabriel studio. studio that's it yeah that's, that's what, what it is, is yeah real world studios exactly and um so yeah and then so there's distance there's a lot of distance uh, between the the windows and the speakers and this is something you can do if you have a large large room you know and then you can really distance yourself from the reflective surfaces and uh, the thing is like the energy in the reflections drops with distance right like sound level drops with distance it has to travel and so the any kind of effects that you get from like in, from interference between direct sound or reflections is going to be far less of a problem if the reflective sound has to travel a lot farther and and so is a lot lower in volume in in relation to the direct sound and that actually means the comb filter the induced comb filter is much smaller um, so that's that's kind of the benefit you get when you have these huge rooms you know you can you can position yourselves yourself far away from any surfaces and uh, and um, another another advantage of these huge rooms is that the the room modes that we have to deal with in our smallish home studios and project studios is those room modes are are in, fre in frequencies so low that uh that they don't actually become an issue like i mean we're, they're, they're lower than the than our sort of the 20 hertz uh, hearing threshold if you can hear that and so so uh, like the problematic ones i mean i have to emphasize that room modes exist still exist uh, higher up in frequency but uh, uh, the problematic ones are so low that uh, they don't cause really they don't cause much issue great well yesco Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been enlightening for me, to say the awesome. least. And uh, I encourage everyone listening to uh, go to AcousticsInsider.com exactly. and take in every single thing that he has to say because the reviews from all our subscribers are that every single thing that they try that you recommend 
is like audio gold, <laughs> basically. Acoustics <laughs> gold. That's awesome to hear. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, I, I try. Like, I mean, I, I also, I just want to dig deeper. Like, I'm not satisfied when somebody tells me, do this 38% rule thing, you know? I'm just like, yeah, but why? And then and then the whole thing starts to unravel, you know? And so I'm, I'm constantly developing new ideas. I'm constantly, uh, like, researching stuff. I'm reading up on current research. And yeah, and I, I take all the influences from the mixing side, which I have a lot of experience with. And I take the influences from the sound system design side, which is really fascinating. They do a lot of stuff that we in the studio never do. And it's and it's totally applicable. And and I kind of bring it all in. And I uh, so I want to I want to I want to be able to help people really get a uh, get out of this confusion zone and out of this um, what do I do with my room kind of place and know exactly what they need to do and know exactly what they're listening to and really make great records. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're doing a great Thanks. job. Well, thank you, sir. Absolutely. And I hope that you can come on yeah, again. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Stam Audio. Stam Audio creates zero compromise recording gear that is light on the wallet. Only the best components are used, and each one goes through a rigorous testing process with one thing in mind, getting the best sound possible. Go to stamaudio.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today.